it was a human dissection, right? That you were uh, a little bit traumatized by? Um, yeah, I, in the sense that I didn't really have a support network, you know, for it. After I learned a bit myself, I started teaching um, dissection workshops and, oh, it was, I would do it, <laughs> you know, and it would go well and people would have great experiences and uh, I'd go home and have night sweats <laughs> and then <laughs> and nightmares, literally. I mean, the cadavers are getting off the table and asking me, what am I doing? You know, and so uh, after, you know, a few years I had, it was getting worse rather than better. And I was like, I really don't want to teach my own class that I booked here. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten down. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Can you state your full name and two or three sentences about who you are and what you do? My name is Gil Headley, and for the last three decades, I've been teaching integral anatomy and loving it. What does that mean? Integral anatomy is my standing on the shoulders of regional anatomy and taking a, a forest view rather than a tree's view, looking at relationships, connections, continuities uh, within the form as a way of having a sort of a deeper experience of the whole person. So let's start with your interests in religion. When did you realize that you wanted to dive deeper um, into that understanding? Oh, I was... But a small child when my when my piety emerged in Catholic school. I was one of those little kids who took it really seriously. I was a ma weekly mass goer. It was part of my family's life. And uh, through college and grad school, I was a daily mass attendee and uh, just a real a real regular part of the church community that's where I found my friendships and my my life and my community centered in the choir singing or participating as a reader or doing all the things that an active uh, parishioner would do but I also from the age of 10 pretty much thought I was destined to be a priest why were you so drawn to it I wasn't drawn to it I didn't want to be a priest I, I prayed, I prayed to God one week, tell me on Sunday, what will be my vocation? Never provoke the Lord. And uh, on Sunday, the priest spoke of his vocation to the priesthood. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to be a priest. This is terrible. I don't want to be a priest. And uh, so I spent the next 11 or 12 years wrestling with that, the burden and sense that I was supposed to be a priest. And I went through all the vocations, directors and various orders courted me and sent me on retreats. And eventually I literally wrote a Dear John letter to my vocations director, whose name was John, <laughs> Father John. I was like, Dear John, I really don't want to be a priest. <laughs> so, and then I felt like I was a fraud for like the next 40 years or something. You know. What was that moment of, of like, actually writing that letter like oh it, it was well i felt like it was the right thing 
But at the same sense, I felt like I was turning my back on that childhood call. And it took me literally decades to realize that the call wasn't so much to to imitate the priest's call to his vocation, but to live mine in my way. And and a, f- a dear friend said, you actually have been living your priestly life all this time, building community and supporting people and developing what you developed in a way that's positive and uplifting. And so she was like, you, you have been a priest the whole time. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's awesome. What a relief. <laughs> I'm not a monster who turned his back on the Lord. I actually just did my thing and it's all good. So when did you start to become drawn to medicine? Well, um, I was uh, a 70s bodybuilder in high school and, and following Arnold Schwarzenegger's supersets lifting program, lifting six days a week. I, I wanted to get big. I loved Frank Zane and all the great 70s bodybuilders, Serge Nubray and Arnold and such. And that got me into, uh, you know, learning about my body and learning about muscle groups and how to make them grow. And, and that, that, that was really my initial initiation. And uh, I, I did a little bit of dissection in high school. In freshman year, we were given a rat. I did a great job. She offered me a cat. We did a great job. I was like, this is fun. And so uh, as by senior year, I was walking up and down the advanced biology labs with my hands behind my back, giving instructions to my friends <laughs> on how to dissect cats. And I thought, oh, that's fun. Why do you think you were so good at it? I don't know. Uh, you come in with stuff, I guess. I just liked it. I wasn't afraid of it. I liked getting my hands in there. And uh, I really didn't have much further involvement until grad school when I, I trained as a, a massage therapist and then as a rolfer. And in order to understand what I was doing in those hands-on fields better, I I started going into the lab with a med school friend and, and doing some dissection. And it was terrifying and I was uh, basically traumatized, but I learned so much from it that I, I felt compelled to learn more. And so uh, I want to dwell on that that um, draw to anatomy because you said that the first time that w- w- it was it was a human dissection, right? That you were uh, a little bit traumatized by. Um, yeah, I, in the sense that I didn't really have a support network, you know, for it, and. I just did it. I went into the lab on Saturdays with my friend and he was studying for a test and there was like more body to dissect and I just jumped into it and gave me a lot of nightmares and, uh, you know, I I wasn't really emotionally prepared for that kind of work. Uh, That having been said, I was willing to forgive the horror for the depth of fascination that it inculcated in me. Yeah, it seems like, like you seeing something that you don't, like uh, that maybe like the initial indicators say like i don't want to do this but plunging forward anyway it seems very similar to your your experience wanting to be a priest like you're like oh like i'm being called towards this maybe it's interesting but i don't want to do it why do you think that is why do you think you're drawn to things that initially you might not want to do or seem fearful i don't know um i i sometimes i imagine that i have courage uh and and that (laughs) and that that somehow that might be a virtue lurking in my sensibilities where um i'm i'm willing to do something that i'm afraid of uh just on the belief that it might be a good thing (laughs) so (laughs) what do you think the importance of courage is in your life and what are some of the good experiences that you think you've had on the other side of being courageous?
Well, the upside of courage is you get to experience the thing that you might not have if you followed your your fear rather than the than the impulse to learn. And so, I mean, the upshot of, of the work that I did to work through my own difficulties in doing the work that I do is that I made it easier for other people to do it because my comfort level actually provides a comfort level for the people who work with me. And I'm kind of proud of that, actually, because it was hard work mm. to get through my own disturbing sort of post-traumatic stress from teaching my very own workshop. <laughs> Could you dive into that? What do you mean? Well, I would, you know, uh, after I learned a bit myself, I started teaching dissection workshops and, oh, it was, I would do it, <laughs> you know, and it would go well and people would have great experiences and uh, I'd go home and have night sweats <laughs> and then the prospect nightmares, literally, I mean, the cadavers are getting off the table and asking me, what am I doing? You know, and so... After, you know, a few years, it was getting worse rather than better. And I was like, I really don't want to teach my own class that I booked here. After a few years. Oh, yeah. This is this is years that you're experiencing this. Oh, yeah. Years, years. I experienced this kind of disturbing terror over my own work. But I just kept on. Yet you're still doing it. I kept on going because I was like, this is an incontrovertible good. It does good for people, and I'm learning a lot, and it's transforming my view of the world. And so I'm going to keep at it, even though I'm having a hard time. But then I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it again. And I, there were these funny little cards. They were called animal cards. It was like a Hallmark version of tarot or something like that. And it had all these little animals on the cards, and it had a little story about each animal. And I thought, okay, let me gonna pick an animal, and that'll maybe help me deal with this. And so I sort of shuffled the cards and closed my eyes and picked a card, and I picked the bat. I read the little card about the bat, and it said the bat is the shaman who goes into the into the graveyards or into the cave, and and it's hanging upside down in there like the infant in the womb, and it, it's it's born out of the death experience and leads others through the terrifying dark night and into the light. And I was like, oh, damn, I think that's me. I think I'm the bat shaman guy. It's terrible, yeah. I'm the bat shaman. I was like, oh my gosh, I, that that describes me to my work to a T. I take people into these weird laboratories where the clocks literally break and stop while you're working. It's bizarre. And really time stands still and people, you know, drop deeply into the present and experience their life pulsing within them and the, this stark contrast with the, the dead with whom they're learning from. And they come away transformed. And I was like, okay, I'm in. You know, I've been called out by the animal cards and I'm just going to have to keep going. <laughs> and so, so I taught my workshops for 27 years. And so I want to lead that up into trying to actually do that at scale in terms of, of teaching mm -hmm. it online. And obviously, like you, you have this passion for anatomy and a passion for, for teaching it to others. So how did you start to document that via video and then online video? Well, I was kind of mad at my own classes because they were too expensive. And I'm thinking, this is very elitist. You know, I'm teaching this uh, class that costs thousands of dollars and who can take it, you know? So I wanted to make videos of it so that I could share it more broadly and more affordably. And I made this set of videos called the Integral Anatomy Series, which I was very proud. And I sold those for four or five years and made a bunch of money and thought, okay... 
I don't want to print this plastic one more time. These friggin' plastic DVDs, they're all going to end up in the Pacific gyres swilling around and, and eating fi fi fish eating it. So I thought, I can't print them on plastic anymore. I didn't know how to put stuff online, so I just gave it away on YouTube. And that sort of opened a door for many, many people, thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of people to watch and learn from the experience that I had there. And I thought, OK, well, that's a good deed. And still, and I found out people can't even afford DVDs, <laughs> you know, so, so at least that was free. <laughs> but but nah, there's so much more than what I was able to include on those DVDs to the story of the human body. It's a universe. And so last year uh, or last two years when COVID happened, the lab was going to get shut down for everyone canceling on them. So instead, I hired the lab for <laughs> about a year and a half myself. And I did a, this huge project where I dissected these two beautiful donors on camera over the course of a year and a half and recorded that. And so now I have this compendium of about 240 hours of content that I'll be loading into my website that you can subscribe to for 15 bucks. So I'm like, that's affordable. <laughs> that's a very affordable education. Yeah. And I have free stuff, a ton of free stuff, 20 hours of free stuff. So folks all over the world can just watch stuff for free on my site. And what do you think the, the legacy of providing all of this anatomy information will be? What do you think the impact of this is? Well, my hope and my intention is that folks will transform their perspective of the body from a problem to a gift. It's like a metaphor shift because I feel that we, this is from my ethics background, we definitely, you know, pick, pick metaphors and live by them. And so if my body is a machine, you know, I'll treat it as such and I'll treat others as such. And if my body is a problem, I'll, I'll be looking for people to fix it and I'll be finding saviors and white coats to save me from my body. And if my body is a gift, then I can maybe appreciate it and in that state of appreciation have, have a, a, an improved felt experience of life on the planet in a body. I, I think that is a beautiful vision. And so what are you most excited for for the future? Rebranding the human body for the whole world. I really, I really am on a mission. If, if I didn't become a priest in, in the way that I had imagined in my, in my childish uh, prayers, I am a mission-driven person. I can't get away from it. It doesn't matter whether I'm happy or sad or in pain or in, in ecstasy. I have the same mission. I don't know why I have it, <laughs> and, and I can't explain it, but I can say that I am deeply committed to providing folks with a positive, transformative vision of, the, of their body. I think it's gotten a bad shake in my religious experience and it's like I don't know I don't think this thing is a curse I think it's a blessing and I'm keen for people to to uh, enjoy that thank you so much for listening if you haven't already make sure to subscribe rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend if you have any questions or comments DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram LinkedIn or Facebook Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, Renee Buchanan, Sophia Donner, Maura Lynch, Zoe Maddox, Ashley Jimenez, Michael Chung, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong. With support from Sarah Hobson, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, Jake Wiley, Ibadat Rai, and Mecca Shelton. 
Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from Abigail Azardia, Elise Caldwell, Jake Wiley, Jordan Ortiz, and Sanessa Gisley. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand with support from Sohail Amartya, Tiffany Dang, Jonathan Wass, and Diana Marie Candaza. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.